Blog Talk Radio. This is a post time with Mike and Mike production. Wiglet, Jiglet, what a race! Always be Mickey on the outside. Always be Mickey. They're off and it is on. And betting line has taken the lead. Two, two, boom! You're tuned in to Harness Racing's fastest 90 minutes post-time with Mike and Mike, with co-host Mike Carter. Believe in the spirit? Do you believe in miracles? And Mike Bozen. Smoking Gun, Shaman Hall, production Smoking Gun is flying. Here comes Smoking Gun. I don't know! Oh, yeah. That just happened! That just happened! That dial, it may have felt like weeks, but we are back live on Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America. Mike Carter, alongside of Mike Bozich, and Mike, I'll tell you what, uh, it feels like uh, it's been a few weeks since we've been on uh, been on this broadcast. Uh, thanks to everybody who tuned in to our uh, kind of a replay segment of our award show last week. I'm still stuffed. I am still <laughs> completely full from Thanksgiving, my friend. It's unbelievable. I wasn't even sure that you were going to be awake for that. The spread that one Francine Matanani Bozich put on the table on Thanksgiving Day was just unbelievable. I got to give her hats off right away to start this show. It was a, a fantastic, fantastic spread, and I am still stuffed. But it's good to be back well, here, Mike, uh, certainly. Well, listen, I got to ask. So so I know I was out there a couple of Thursdays ago. We had some fun. But we we had talked, and I, I know that, like, Francine uh, had done something uh, or did something different for Thanksgiving's leading up. Didn't you guys do, like, tacos up to this point? Yeah, usually it was a taco Thursday, uh, Thanksgiving was, but uh, we went I back to it. the traditional way. Back to the traditional way. Turkey, stuffing, mashed potatoes, pumpkin pie. She made an out-of-this-world banana pudding, uh, corn. Just, just an awesome spread. I, I just, I'm still full, to be quite honest. Well, listen, well, listen, I, I can vouch for you know for her cooking. She is a fantastic chef. So, uh, more power to you, my friend. Yeah, no question about it. But like you said, it seems like before we before we got on the air, you were talking about it. it seemed like months since we've done a show, but it's <laughs> only been a couple of weeks. But we certainly missed it last week, and we appreciate everybody joining us this week. And Mike, I guess we're uh, going to start this. Uh, December season right, my friend, because we have got a blockbuster show for you today. I mean, just a, a great, great show for you today. Uh, obviously, the buzz uh, on the social media. We're going to be joined uh, at the bottom of the hour by Jeff Garral. Of course, he is the uh, boss at the Meadowlands, owner of Tioga and Vernon as well. And he's going to talk to us about some of the issues that plague harness racing, some of the issues that plague the Meadowlands. He's been pretty vocal in the last, uh, over the last couple of weeks uh, in the harness racing press. And uh, hopefully he's going to clarify and talk about some of those comments that he made right here on this program over the last couple of weeks. So definitely a, a must listen to interview that's coming up towards 1130 plus Mike hats off to one of our favorite people, 
in the sport of in the sport of harness racing. Moira Fanning. She was promoted the COO of the Hamiltonian Society. And Mike, you talk about a well earned promotion. I don't know of anybody who deserves it more than she does. Listen, I hung out with her at the Hamiltonian this year, and the amount of work and pressure that she has on her – or she may not the Hamiltonian, the British Crown – the amount of work and pressure she has on her, and she handles it with the utmost disdain, just keeps on trucking, keeps on doing everything she has to do, and never misses a beat, Mike. She's uh, definitely one of the hardest-working people in harness racing, and I'll tell you what, uh, it's a well-deserved promotion, that's for sure. Plus, we're going to be joined by Nick Sarink. He just thing out his uh, 1,000th training win a couple of days ago at Freehold. He's going to be joining us as well. And uh, let's see, who else we have? Dean Hoffman's going to join us. Mike, he wrote a very interesting article uh, in uh, Harness Racing Update uh, a couple of days ago talking about 5.8 mile tracks and just talking basically the conversation kind of drifted into different distance racing. And I know, Mike, we've talked a little bit on this program in the past about having different distance racing, but uh, I do think that it's something that harness racing should explore. It's something they do overseas. And, you know, I mean, I think that's maybe something we should explore. Now, keep in mind, I was a big opponent of different distance racing for the longest times, but you know what? Maybe it's time to give it a shot. Definitely, Mike. And I got to tell you, it's, uh, you know, I, I've been a big supporter of it. You know, the mile and a quarter races uh, that you guys put on, uh, I like the mile and a quarter, excuse me, mile and a 16th races that Western Fair does. And, and they make the races, you know, that much more interesting. And, you know, it, it just, it allows for bigger fields, in my opinion. And I like where, kind of like where Dean Hoffman went towards the end of it. I wasn't a fan of it at the start because I love five eighths mile racing. Uh, you know, Mike, it's, it, it's very competitive. Uh, you don't see the rail horses win. Uh, too terribly often. In fact, you see the mid-pack horses probably win yeah. more often than not. Yeah, the the four and the five, I think that's where definitely the dominance lies before it used to be. But I'll tell you what, you've got speed in the rail. Uh, you know, you've got a big, big shot. Now, not so much. And I don't know, maybe some of that has to do with the passing lane. And maybe some of that has to do with the style of today's racing. I really don't know. But we're going to talk to Dean Hoffman about that towards the top of the hour. But Mike, getting Closer with each and every day is the closing of the nominations of the 2017 post-time with Mike and Mike Awards. And, Mike, there is still time to make that nomination. You have to go to our website, but, Mike, time is starting to run out. Yeah, definitely. Make sure you head to our website, posttimewithmike.com. Nominations being accepted until next Wednesday uh, when we uh, get all the nominations together. And, Mike, it's uh, one of our favorite times of the year. December 7th will be the 2017 Posttime with Mike and Mike Awards nomination show uh, where we will release all the nominees. Um, I, I got to tell you, I've already I, I got to start working on the press release this week. This is probably one of the biggest press releases we do all year long. Uh, we try to highlight as many of the people. Um, excuse me, I say as many, but it, you know, we try to highlight every nominee, something they've done yep. in the sport of harness racing. Doesn't matter what it is uh, for each category. So it definitely takes some time to uh, to do. And uh, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a lot of fun. And Mike, you know, with our award show also comes our coverage of international harness racing that actually begins uh, here in the next couple of weeks and check this out, Mike, on our nomination show, you're going to love this. You ready? Mm -hmm. It's the final of the 2017 inter dominion will be on Friday, Mm -hmm. the following day. So we'll be, uh, listen, there's seven heats in already. 
we got to we got oh, some wow. catching up to do, my friend. But uh, listen, we'll be talking. Uh, we'll be talking some Perth Inner Dominion coming up uh, on next week's show. Mike, we'll also be talking. Uh, we're gonna get ready for the Prix de Amérique, uh, the Prix de Paris, and the entire French Triple Crown uh, that we covered last year. It, it's uh, it's an exciting time for Mike and Mike, and our international coverage uh, begins here uh, just in the next couple of weeks. Paging Brandon Velvo. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Listen, we, I, we got we, some heat races. Yeah, we I usually bring Brandon Valbo in right around this time, but uh, he starts helping us out a little bit with this, Mike. Yeah, and uh, uh, he's, uh, we're certainly going to have to put uh, his talents to use again. He, he's just an encyclopedia of overseas racing. If you've got a question about overseas racing, Brandon certainly a man. Yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah, he definitely knows it. And uh, listen, uh, it, you know, this is, you know, people think, you know, the Grand Circuit goes away. You know, we kind of, you know, now now's where we're looking for stuff to cover. And so, if you have any ideas, you know, you want us to cover something, you know, whether it be, you know, a trainer or driver or fan or whatever, you know, feel free to reach out uh, via our website, posttimewithmikeandmike.com. Click the us button and uh, let us know what you want to hear about. You know, you never know if. Uh, Something that you uh, want to hear about is maybe something somebody else wants to hear about, and we'll grab it for the show. But uh, our international harness racing coverage comes soon, and that's uh, it's an exciting time for us. Uh, it took us a, about a year, Mike, I think, to get really used to it. But last year we uh, we took over this Inner Dominion, and it was uh, it was a lot of fun to cover. Mike, getting back to the awards, and I was going over some of the nominees the other day. And by the way, we've been flooded with uh, nominees. Of course, you can nominate by our website at posttimewithmikeandmike.com. But we have got some wide open horse races this year. I mean, there is not – I'll tell you what, there's no givens this year. I mean, last year and the year before, in a couple of categories, you could pretty much uh, you know, assign somebody prohibitive favorite status. I don't think you can do that this year. We've got some wide open races, my friend. That's for sure. I know one category has uh, a ton of people yep. – in it and it's going to make for some exciting uh exciting you know exciting voting last year we had i think it was um race fan of the year we had seven or eight in that category and it come down to the final day if i remember correctly we were you know that everybody was you know throwing their votes in, throwing their votes in, throwing their votes in at the last minute and uh that you know swung the scales the other way and obviously uh, this year we're going to be using a different uh a different system for our voting. Uh, we'll be using surveymonkey.com presented by the United States Trotting Association. They've been nice enough to uh, help us out with this. We'll get everything loaded so that by Thursday afternoon around, say, uh, 12 o'clock when our show ends, Mike, we will be able to start voting on the uh, Post Time with Mike and Mike Awards. That's uh, it's an exciting time for all of us, uh, me and you both. Uh, this is probably one of the biggest shows we put together all year long, and it's probably one of the more fun shows because we get to honor those horses or those people who don't necessarily get honored each and every year. Uh, I remember back to the Small Stable Award a couple of years ago when Larry Reinheimer took the award. And uh, if you remember uh, back, you, I can remember back interviews upon interviews upon interviews with family, friends, everything. That reward meant so much to Larry. And so what we're trying to do is promote a positive spirit in some of these people who may not get coverage. You know, uh, last yeah. year, uh, the Small Stable was, I can't remember, who was the Small Stable last year? Well, you know, we'll have, we'll have to go back and look at Post Time with Mike at Mike dot com. You know, we do have the uh, Wall of Fame up. The Wall of Fame. <laughs> 
Right. Yeah, we do have the Wall of Fame. Yeah, it's, if you ever want to know, you know, who won, well, maybe who won this award, you know, last year, the year before, or what have you, Mike and I uh, put together a Wall of Fame. Uh, of course, last year's Horse Woman of the Year was Emily, uh, Emily Gaskin, and uh, we have kind of bios on everybody there, Mike. That's right. So make sure you check that out as well. And real quick, Mike, before we get to our first commercial break, we bring Nick Cernica on the program. Tonight at Dover Downs, they've got a big one. It's the Hap Hansen uh, Progress Pace and the last ever meeting between two three-year-olds, Mike, that just took us on a whirlwind tour this year. Uh, both Brian Brown tradies down by the seaside and Fear the Dragon. They'll meet for the last time. How exciting is that going to be at Dover tonight? That should be a lot of fun, uh, Fear the Dragon versus Down by the Seaside. This has been a uh, kind of an epic battle all season long between these two. Obviously, Huntsville uh, suffering an injury uh, is kind of disappointing because the big three is what I was going to call, you know, what we were calling them. And the last big three that we had, Mike, was uh, Freaky Feed Pete, Always Be Mickey, and Wiggle It Jiggle It as uh, older horses. So it was nice to see you know we had a big three kind of under the radar on the three-year-old level and it uh it will definitely uh be interesting to see who comes out on top tonight you know if you're the dragon returns to form if down by the seaside is the better of the two horses and uh it should it, it should be a very interesting race that's for sure all right, Nick Sirks on the Undank Circle. He's going to be joining us in just a moment. We're going to take our first time out. A big show planned for you today. Moira Fanning will be joining us, plus Dean Hoffman and Jeff Garrell. You've got post time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America. Now at Bet America, every track is a bonus track. Earn rewards points for every wager you make on every track. We also offer more points for all exotic wagers. And don't forget about our weekly promos. Check our calendar to see how you can earn double points on featured tracks and races. Sign up for Bet America today to start earning points and get up to a $400 bonus with our new 200% deposit match. See our website for reward points, state restrictions. Here at the stable, our mission is to provide fair market for owners of yearlings while giving investors the most informative way to purchase all of or part of a horse. The stable will cater to all budgets by having an open fractional buying market and a flat rate billing system. At the stable, we aim to minimize the risk in buying and maximize the benefit of selling. Visit thestable.ca or give Anthony McDonald a call at 519-400-4263. That's 519-400-4263. It's thestable.ca. New Vocations Resource Adoption Program. Retrain, rehab, rehome. New Vocations focuses on adoption as the optimal solution for the large numbers of horses that leave the track each year. The program provides rehabilitation and transitional training to prepare the horses for a productive life beyond racing. Each horse is evaluated for temperament, soundness, and suitability to help ensure a successful adoptive match. New Vocations Racehorse Adoption Program, celebrating 25 years and over 6,000 horses placed. Learn more at newvocations.org.
go anywhere. This all-star show is just getting started. Mike Bozich along with Mike Carney. You've got post time with Mike and Mike presented by Bet America, Moira Fanning, Dean Hoffman, Jeff Garrell, and much, much more to join us here uh, over the next hour, hour and a half or so. But first, it's our good buddy Nick Surik. Nick, uh, trainer extraordinaire, just got his 1,000th training win uh, just uh, a little while ago at Freehold. Nick, how are you, buddy? Good, Mike. How are you guys? Well, tell us about win number 1,000, uh, how special it was to you, what it meant to you. Uh, that was a real special moment. And to do it with Joel Benton, uh, who owns the horse, he's been with me uh, since the beginning. He's really the first guy who really started putting me on the map. And, uh, you know, that it meant something to him. So that's something uh, that means something to all of us. And, uh, you know, we did it, we did it ra- you know, rather quickly. I just, uh, you know, to get there before I turned 30. And, uh, you know, it happened, it happened pretty fast. Now, Nick, you have had a whirlwind season. Uh, it's probably an understatement for 2017. The amount of success that you've seen this year, obviously uh, with Ella Christina and some of the bigger name horses that you have, what has it been like to uh, kind of train throughout the year and kind of see all these successes? Um, it's really been uh, it's been a dream come true. I finally have put together the perfect team of uh employees and owners and uh you know second trainers and drivers and i mean just seems like everything is clicking this year um you know i've had a lot of the same people that work for me for the same you know for the last couple years and you know just the beginning of this year i changed up my second trainer a little bit and uh obviously uh hannah's been with me for the last couple years as well and uh i mean we just all of our ideas and thoughts come together and um, it's just, it, it's, I, I've got, I've got the perfect team right now. You know, like them years, the Yankees were winning all them world series. That's the kind of team I've got right now. And without all of them, I couldn't do what I do. Nick, you've always been one to give credit to your team. I mean, even off the air, you know, this is, believe me, everybody, this isn't a front. This is the real Nick talking because even, even off the air, you know, and when, when uh, I run into you every now and again, we talk and you always give credit you know, to your team and to the people that help you out. And, 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 you know, listen, you've got a pretty big stable now. You're racing at a lot of different places. And we always ask trainers that have a lot of different horses how they kind of keep that all in order. I mean, how do you kind of keep that all in order? Obviously, I would imagine technology certainly helped because you can't be everywhere at one time. Yeah, you know, I mean, my biggest thing is, and most people behind the scenes of this business know, I run my standard bread operation like a thoroughbred operation. You know, I'm not as hands-on in the barn as most trainers are. Um, do a lot of the managing, the entering, the driver changes, the placings, the billing, the bookkeeping, the payroll, the workman's comp. I kind of do all that. Um, like, I'm talking to you right now, and it's uh, 1045. I'm on my way to the barn right now because for the last three hours, I've been doing book work at home. So, uh, you know, it's just, uh, you know, you got to have good people and, you know, having Hannah at the barn and, you know, another guy named Ray Dominico and Miriam, you know, they just, they really, you know, they know what I expect. And for the most part is if they keep my horses on the program that I know I set, I can work the program per per how the horse races. Like if they tie up or they're sick or they're, you know, they're not finishing well, or they're not leaving good. Like I can kind of twerk the program, you know, as long as they stay, you know, how I know, you know, how I, how I train horses and, you know, it works for me. It's just, uh, you know, I've got a barn in Florida next week, we send six to Canada and, uh, you know, we're going to be all over the map. And as long as, you know, as long as we all work together and we stick by the same program, you know, it seems to work for me. 
Now, Nick, how did you come up? You know, you say you come up with a pro- or you train by a program. How did you come up with this program? Is it kind of like a training regimen that you do, or is it kind of something that you do the same with every horse and kind of just tweak it as you go? You know, I've kind of taken a little bit from everybody. Um, you know, I have. Uh, you know, I've taken. I've used my own sense. You know, of what I think works. And then I've taken some from Irv Miller. I've taken some from Andy Miller. You know, I listen to how Ron Burke trains his horses and, you know, how Jimmy Tactor trains his horses. And, you know, I'm friends with Nancy Johansson, and I, you know, I recently bought all them horses off her over the summer. And, you know, she told me what she did with her horses. And, you know, I kind of take what I like out of everybody else's program and incorporate it into my own. And, um, you know, I'm all about learning. I don't – nobody knows everything. And the more I can learn, the better off I am. And, you know, I try – one thing that I was taught as a young age and is to just listen and just surround yourself with successful people. If you're around successful people, you're going to be successful yourself. If you hang around with, you know, people that aren't as smart or, you know, a, a term I'm going to use, you know, losers or, you know, you don't – you just, you know, that's what you're going to become. If you hang around, you know, Jimmy Tactor, Irv Miller, Julie Miller, Andy, you're going to become successful because you're going to learn. Yeah, soaking in that knowledge. And, you know, that's one of the things, uh, you know, that I've learned throughout the years is kind of keep your mouth shut and your ears open, especially when you're young and, and growing up and trying to soak up all that knowledge of, of people. And, you know, and obviously they've been very gracious to help you. Nick, one of the things that, uh, you know, that I've noticed, you know, as your stable has grown, you've kind of kept your base at freehold. And, uh, you know, you still race a lot of horses at freehold. Obviously, you win at an insane amount there at freehold. Do you ever – you ever get any like flack from from kind of staying at freehold you know i do and um you know like i i you know i tell people you know yeah my numbers might be bigger there you know yeah i might bat 550 600 there but i mean pull up my yonkers i bat 3 350 there just like richie banka like a renee allard ron burke i mean i do just as good there as well um you know i do well at chester i'm in the top 10 training standards at chester um, and I, you know, I think it proves itself. I mean, I, you know, I, I own the Philly that win the Breeders' Crown last year, Ella Christina this year. I mean, I've win, you know, uh, you know, a couple audio volos. I mean, just, oh, yeah. you know, I, that's just where I'm comfortable. You know, I, I live five minutes from Freehold. I've grown up here. I went to high school here. Um, and I found a way to, you know, corner a market where I'm the big fish in a little pond. And if I can make eight to $10,000 a day in my backyard where my expenses are way less, I'm going right. to take it and I'm going to run with it. You know, I mean, to go to Yonkers or Chester, you know, you got to go race against the best drivers. You got to race against the best trainers. You got to go over the bridge. You got shipping expenses, higher expenses to send caretakers. You know, my barn, the freehold, eight minutes. You know, my, it costs me half to have an employee go there as it does another track. And let's face it, I mean, I have Andy Miller or Brett Miller lined up behind the gate you know, going against guys that are, you know, just starting out in the business or, you know, not as great as, you know, other drivers, where if you go to Chester or the Meadowlands, I mean, you look left, you got Tim Tietrich, you look right, you got David Miller. <laughs> you know, I think I just found a way to just, you know, you know, corner a market and uh, I really, really enjoy it. And, you know, I might make a little bit less, but at the end of the day, I'm making a really good living at it and uh, I'm having fun. Like winning one race at Freehold is just as exciting to me as winning the open at Yonkers. Like I, I just, I get a, I get a high and a thrill off of wins. 
Nick Zerg joining us. Uh, Nick, obviously, you know, you've got a, a pretty big stable now. We've already talked about all the different places uh, that you're racing at now. Do you, do you ever see it getting too big? Do you ever see where you may have to rein it in a little bit, or you just want to grow as much as you could possibly grow? You know, Hannah actually said this to me yesterday or the day before. Uh, she was texting me. She's on her way to Australia with Marcus for that driving cha- competition. And she said, um, do you feel like you're getting greedy? And, uh, yeah, I kind of took a, you know, I kind of like, I was like, wow, I, you know, I never thought about it. Um, you know, yeah, I think, I, I think I'm at a point where I think this is enough, you know, um, I think it's enough right now. You know, I don't want to, you know, obviously, you know, I don't want to, you know, you, the more you start, the more numbers you put out there, you know, the, the more risks you have, you know, everything goes up. Um, I think, you know, I think this is a, a number that I'm comfortable with. And let's face it, you know, freehold only races uh, six months a year or, you know, seven months a year. So, you know, I do get my downtime, you know, when they close in May, June, July, and August, you know, I get rid of all them horses. So probably 20 or 25 go out the door and then I enjoy myself for the summer. Um, but, you know, I, I just take it like my owners, if we see a good horse, we buy it. You know, I mean, we don't worry about, you know, have, we don't worry about, oh, we need to have 50 horses or we got to have 20 horses. You know, right now we're just buying whatever's value and whatever's good. But um, I, I do think that this is a max. I don't think I want to go much more than this. I mean, it's it, it's stressful. I mean, it's it's hard. <laughs> All right, Nick. Uh, before we let you go, one final question: um, Where what what's your ultimate goal in the sport? What, what would you like to accomplish before it's all said and done? You know, Mike, I, I, if, if I could say one thing is I want to win the jug. I want to win the jug or jugette. I've been going every year for the last couple of years. Every year in August, if I don't have one, I try to buy one. Um, I do whatever I can do. And, uh, you know, I, that that's my goal. I mean, other than that, I mean, you know, I never imagined a thousand wins. I never imagined getting to 10 million in purses. Um, I've already accomplished, you know, leading trainer at Freehold, which is something I've wanted to done since I wanted to do since I was a little kid being I grew up there. Um, but you know, if I could win the jug, that'd be something off my bucket list and obviously just continue to make a good, a good living in this sport and just, you know, be happy and just kind of roll with the punches. And Nick, one of the great things uh, I see you're you're starting. Well, it's not starting. You've been uh, giving back to the sport of harness racing. I see you've been doing various sponsorships. You sponsored a race at the Meadowlands, and and obviously, you know, when when you get to have a big stable like yours, it's, I think it's important to give back. And I just want to, you know, give you a big high five for doing that because say hey, it's it's important. I think harness racing it does certainly use all I the help it can get. Yeah, I try to give back as much as I can. You know, I I just SRF and. Um, you know, like in freehold, you know, I, I donate a big portion to the, uh, open door for the, you know, the kids for Christmas, um, anything I can do to give back in the sport and the donations, you know, we just sponsored the goldsmith made and, you know, whatever. I mean, anytime somebody calls, whether it's a publishing, you know, whether it's horsemen in Fairworld or hoof beats or, you know, anything, you know, I try to give back because unfortunately we're in a dying sport and, uh, every little bit that we can get together and everybody that can help everybody that's successful should get together and help make the, bring the bottom up higher and bring new people and, uh, you know, anything I can do to help it, I'm always going to try. Now, Nick, we also like to try to take care of the gamblers on this show every chance we get. And we do know that you have a couple in today at Harris, Philadelphia. I know you've got a lot on your plate of big schedule. So if you're, uh, you know, if you're, if you're a little confused about who you exactly you got in, that's, that's perfectly fine. But you've got a couple in Lily's Swan Pond in the seventh in the upper condition level trial. What can you tell us about the five-year-old? Uh, he's okay. He's really an overachiever. I got him from uh, Tom Securo in Ohio. 
uh, at the end of his three-year-old year in the fair season. And I think he banged out close to 150,000 last year as a four-year-old. And uh, he, he really trots the turns really well. I um, mean, if you look at his lines, I don't think he's made a start at Chester or I don't think he's made a start at any track besides a half for me. And I really think he's a small track horse, so I don't think he'll pick up too good today at Chester. But, you know, with the, you know, just being shut out of Yonkers and missing a week or two, you know, unfortunately, I think, uh, you know, I think he's, you know, I think he's a little over his head over there today, just hoping for a good piece. And Chaxy Raxy Hanover got the rail, dropping in class where she belongs. If Brett can just let the dust settle. I know there's one tough one in there of Mike Watson's. She looks good. But if Chaxy Raxy can get away second or third and, be the last one to make the front, like if Breck a quarter puller to the lead, then I think she'll be tough to beat, but she's kind of a hard one to get to get there. So, I mean, if she gets there, she'll be good. If not, we are being a little trouble. Good stuff, my friend. Always a pleasure to have you on the program. Nick Surick, uh, we'll see you for your next, uh, for uh, win number 2000, probably in the not too distant future. <laughs> I sounds good, guys. Thanks, guys. All right, that was Nick Surick, trainer. And uh, I'll tell you what, Mike, you know, and, in, in, you know, let's be quite honest. I mean, a lot of times, I don't think Nick has been the you know the most uh, popular guy in the racetrack or in the barn. But I'll tell you what, he's really come a long way. His stable is just uh, unbelievable. I mean, every time he's got a horse in a race, I think from a gambling point of view, you certainly have to keep an eye out for it. And he's given back to the sport of harness racing, Mike. And I think that's very important for these guys to do. Yeah, definitely. He gives back, and uh, he does a fantastic job. And he talked about his team, Mike. That's that's a pretty important thing you know that he was able to talk about his team and you know kind of make some changes he said you know if something's not working right we got to uh you know we got to fix it we got to do what we got to do and i'll tell you what he works especially hard at keeping that stable together absolutely and uh you know and i'll tell you like i said during the interview mike that is actually the real nick i mean when you talk to him off the air and you know you, you credit him about how his horses are doing he always talks about his team I think that's really, really awesome that, you know, he does that. He he kind of realizes it's a team effort. And, uh, you know, so you got to certainly give him a lot of credit for that. Well, our all-star show, Mike, is uh, going to continue. Moira Fanning is going to be joining us here in just a few minutes. We have Dean Hoffman towards the top of the hour, uh, or actually a little bit past the top of the hour. It's right at the top of the hour already. And then, of course, you're going to want to stay tuned to the bottom of the hour. Jeff Gurrell, uh, owner of the Meadowlands, Tioga, and Vernon will be joining us as, well, you've got Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America. Twelve championship races. <laughs> One spectacular night. And Father Patrick and a coast home champion here. Breeders' Crown 2018 coming to the Downs at Mohegan Sun Pocono. Pitching up the rail. Modern legend there. Foiled again. Dead game. Clear vision laid on the outside. Pit Rock on the inside. Photo finish. Foiled again at Pit Rock together. Are you interested in learning more about owning standard bred racehorses? Do you want to experience the excitement of driving a standard bred? Owning a racehorse is a once-in-a-lifetime experience and not as difficult as you may think. The United States Trotting Association wants to help make your ownership dreams a reality. Contact a member of the Ownership Concierge team by email at owners at ustrotting.com or by calling 877-800-8782, extension 5555. Picking up speed. Here they come. They're off, and it is on. If you're already off and pacing, what's the next step? 
If you're between the ages of 8 and 17 or know someone who is, visit thisisharnessracing.com to download the application for the This Is Harness Racing Aspiring Drivers Program. Perks include being a driver in the often pacing game, meeting real-life top drivers, and getting free often pacing merchandise. Join the movement. This is HarnessRacing.com. Hashtag This is Harness Racing on Twitter and Facebook. On this edition of Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America, Mike Carter alongside of Mike Bozich, and we're joined now by the hardest working person in harness racing, Miss Moira Fanning. Moira, how's it going? Uh, it's going good, thank you. How are you guys? Not too bad. So uh, you got a little bit of a promotion uh, this week, and I'll tell you, if you've never seen Moira work, uh, you got to go visit her at a Breeders' Crown or a Hamiltonian, and she's she's doing it all. And uh, Moira, the the promotion to uh, COO uh, happened for you this week. Uh, congratulations from all of us. And uh, what does that mean to you? Well, thanks. Uh, it's a nice vote of confidence by the Hamiltonian Society Board. Um, Tom Charters, who has been with the society pretty much since the creation of the Breeders' Crown, which would be 1983, I think, or 84, uh, has signaled for the past year and a half that he wanted to transition out. Now, we really haven't wanted him to do that, so we've made it as difficult as possible for him. But he finally really left, and uh, that meant that, uh, you know, they had the opportunity to have John and... uh, Callie Davies Gooch, our stakes manager, who's been here for a very long time as well. Also, um, I hate to use the word retired because the two of them are very active people, and they you'll still see them at the races and, and doing everything they do. They just won't be here in, in Cranberry. We have David James as our stakes manager. We do handle about $16 million in purses and, and 130-some races. All of that's going to be pretty seamless, and with John at the helm, um, hopefully we'll get to do a few more things uh, in the overall big picture of harness racing, and I can tend to the office stuff that Tom did. Moira, Mike Bozich here, uh, obviously <clears throat> kind of a new addition uh, to the to the Hamiltonian team, so to speak, has uh, been John Campbell. And obviously everybody is aware of his accomplishments on the racetrack, one of the greatest, if not the greatest driver of all time. Talk to us a little bit about how it's like to work with John Campbell and what he's brought to the team. Well, there's very few times that things work out so serendipitously that Tom had given notice of of his intention to transition out. And I think John was at a place in his life where he still had a a lot to offer the sport um, and was looking to do something different. So it's not surprising that he's been, you know, brought to this, uh, to a workplace, the same kind of traits that make him the best driver in the world. He's focused, he listens, he's a quick decision maker, um, he's got enormous access and and context uh, in the sport, his reputation is impeccable, and uh, he's um, he's been a, a pleasure to work with. And, you know, everyone asks me, is he really in your office? And he really is in the office a lot. So uh, I don't know what it must be like for him to walk down these halls and see all the pictures of him and the Hamiltonian winning memorabilia of him. 
but um, doesn't seem to bother him too much. Now, Moira, obviously with uh, your new role, will you still be doing some of the, your old role, role as well, or will somebody else kind of be taking those roles? Well, I, I think what, again, Tom uh, Charters, who's been a great mentor and a wonderful boss, Im- has impressed upon me is to delegate. And he he did it, and I think Nick Sirk um, referenced the, how important the team is. Uh, John is a high-profile guy. I'm high-profile, but... What happens here is a result of a lot of people contributing to, to make our events so successful. And I'm very fortunate to have an enormous pool of people to draw from. You know, I, I'll remark on Justin Horowitz, who uh, has been, you know, just instrumental to the to the growth of the New Meadowlands and to their media footprint, and he's was you know, on our Hamiltonian show, and he's going to continue to do that, I hope. Uh, but when you have the, those kinds of people and the kinds of people who come to the Breeders' Crown and, and work, Chris Tully, John Sanucci, do so, the photographers I have, I mean, it's, I, I do have to learn to delegate more, but I, I think I'm ready to do that. Yeah, and like uh, you know, like Mike has said, anybody that's been at one of these big events, boy, they always—they don't get to see too much of you because you're not really in one place for a very long period of time, maybe seconds at a time, as uh, you're just going from place to place and locale to locale. But um, you know, for those people out there, and I know we've we've had you on the show before and we've talked about it before, so it, it's been a little bit. For for those people out there that really are unsure of the role that the Hamiltonian Society plays, can you kind of educate us on what the Hamiltonian Society actually does, what its purpose is? Well, sure. I, I mean, it was brought together in 1924, I think, uh, uh, people that were looking to uh, captains of the industry and breeders and owners that were looking to uh, advance the trotting breed. Now, they created a race called the Hamiltonian. They've created many other races uh, in the interim. And to me, uh, the, the most admirable thing about the Hamiltonian Society is that regardless of the board or who's in charge, it has rolled forward since 1926 and still maintains the premier event in North America, which is the Hamiltonian. The Oaks created a new race, the Hamiltonian Maturity, and has over administrates over 130 some stake races i will say that the role was was largely um administrative up until about 20 years ago and as tracks sort of contracted their staff and and their funds the society tried to step in more and more they've had a, a tremendous partnership especially with the meadowlands now the longest running host of the hamiltonian um and Without the host tracks and, of course, the owners and people who pay into these stakes, uh, the Hamiltonian Society couldn't continue that vision. But it's another thing that I think Tom is especially proud of, and I am too. I didn't come to the Breeders' Crown till 80, uh, I don't know, 88 or 89. But so many things have come and gone in harness racing, and this coming year will be the 35th year of the Breeders' Crown. It was an instant classic with that Dragon's Lair, Annihilator race, and there's very, very few things that you can say, you know, this started in, and, and 35 years later it's going strong. I'd just like to say that what an energizing year this has been, not only um, because of 
Tom and Kelly getting to realize their dream of of leaving finally. But uh, you know, with John and our Breeders' Crown at Hoosier Park was was just one of the best Breeders' Crown events we've had. They were a wonderful, wonderful host track partner. Um, it, and that to see that kind of effort and energy put into harness racing uh, and putting into the events, uh, putting that effort into the events, it, it's been fantastic. And we've already had our first meeting, planning meeting for uh, Pocono, and they're just as hyped up about it. And they came out to Hoosier and, and took a lot away from there. And, uh, you know, it really does, you can get, to feel routine about things but the society wants to preserve the big event and the stake race as you know as the dream that that all owners and and breeders want and trainers well i'll tell you what you guys do a heck of a job and certainly put on a great great show uh, at these events and we certainly appreciate everything you do moira we certainly appreciate you joining us and certainly congratulations on a promotion that was very well deserved okay thanks mike and mike all right, that was Moira Fanning, the brand-new COO of the Hambletonian Society. And, uh, yeah, I mean, if you if you catch her at these big events, Mike, you're not going to catch her for very long because she is just flying all over the place. I mean, you know, how many times during these big events, Mike, have we tried to sit her down for an interview, and she's there waiting, and next thing you know, she's gone. A lot of the time, that's for sure. And <laughs> I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what, when I was at Hoosier Park, of course I had Kate with me, and this was her first pretty big event that she had been to other than the one that we went to at Western Fair. And she she turned and looked at me at the end of the first night and goes, does she ever sit down? I go, no, she does not sit down. She's constantly moving all over the place. And I'll tell you what, it, uh, she works so, so hard. And one thing that I took out of that interview, Mike, uh, she she talked about how uh, welcoming John Campbell has uh, been uh, for their society, how accessible he is. And I'll tell you what, Mike, uh, he, we found that out at Hoosier Park ourselves. Uh, he came over to the table, you know, he told us, you know, hey, keep up the good work. But he also sat down and spent a few minutes and uh, did an interview with us. So that was nice as well. You know, she also brought up a name, Mike, that uh, we were kind of going to bring up in the beginning, but uh, I kind of forgot about it. We were going to, you know, maybe try to bring it up towards the end. We talk a little bit about headlines and so forth. But congratulations to Justin Horowitz. Justin Horowitz moving on from the Meadowlands, going on to uh, TVG, and obviously thinks that's a, a better opportunity for himself and his family. I know Justin is, you know, filled in on this show for me on uh, a few different occasions, and he's been a, a big friend of Post Time with Mike and Mike. So uh, certainly congratulations out to uh, Justin. Yeah, definitely. He's been on the uh, program a couple of times. And listen, you know what? That's a uh, huge promotion for him and his family. You know, he'll get the um, obviously uh, the hours will change, <laughs> so to speak. And, you know, he's done a fantastic job at the Meadowlands. Uh, he's come a long way in his career. And I'll tell you what, he's really grasped the sport of harness racing. Certainly has, so uh, hats off to Justin. We've got uh, still a jam-packed show left. Dean Hoffman's going to be joining us in just a few minutes. We're going to talk about an article that he wrote in HRU just a couple of days ago talking about uh, track sizes and perhaps the need for different distance racing, so we'll get into that with him. Plus, towards the bottom of the hour, don't forget, it is the owner of the Meadowlands, Tioga and Vernon, Jeff Garral. He's going to talk to us a little bit about this, some of the issues that are facing the sport of harness racing and his three tracks in particular. That's all coming up and much more on Post Time with Mike and Mike presented by Bet America. Now at Bet America, every track is a bonus track. 
earn rewards points for every wager you make on every track. We also offer more points for all exotic wagers. And don't forget about our weekly promos. Check our calendar to see how you can earn double points on featured tracks and races. Sign up for Bet America today to start earning points and get up to a $400 bonus with our new 200% deposit match. See our website for reward points, state restrictions. Here at The Stable, our mission is to provide fair market for owners of yearlings while giving investors the most informative way to purchase all of or part of a horse. The Stable will cater to all budgets by having an open fractional buying market and a flat rate billing system. At The Stable, we aim to minimize the risk in buying and maximize the benefit of selling. Visit thestable.ca or give Anthony McDonald a call at 519-400-4263. That's 519-400-4263. It's thestable.ca. New Vocations Resource Adoption Program. Retrain, rehab, rehome. New Vocations focuses on adoption as the optimal solution for the large numbers of horses that leave the track each year. The program provides rehabilitation and transitional training to prepare the horses for a productive life beyond racing. Each horse is evaluated for temperament, soundness, and suitability to help ensure a successful adoptive match. New Vocations Racehorse Adoption Program, celebrating 25 years and over 6,000 horses placed. Learn more at newvocations.org. We're back on Post 7 with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America. Mike Bozich, along with Mike Carter, Jeffrey Gorrell, still to come uh, towards the bottom of the hour. But first, it's our good friend Dean Hoffman making his post time with Mike and Mike debut. And I'll tell you what, Dean, you know, we've been on the air for two years now, going on two years, and this is the first time you've been on this program. That's that's really hard to believe. But how are you? <laughs> I'm doing fine. I think it's probably because I'm hiding out here in the deserts of uh, – Arizona, mostly um, commiserating with the rattlesnakes and mountain lions. I'm a long way from a harness track. Well, yeah, you certainly are. Uh, what are you doing out in Arizona? Well, I've been teaching, doing some part-time teaching at the racetrack industry uh, program at the University of Arizona, which is, uh, I started speaking to classes there in 1981. And coming up next week, we have the racetrack industry symposium, which attracts uh, several hundred uh, suits, as, as we call them, from around the, the racing world to talk about how to solve uh, racing's problems. Well, that's certainly a, a very, very good discussion, certainly a very worthwhile discussion. You write a, a great article uh, every now and again uh, that uh, I always look forward to reading. It's called The Dean's List. It can be found on Harness Racing Update. And a very interesting article a couple of days ago as uh, you talked uh, a little bit about 5.8's of a mile racetracks and uh, obviously it hit very home with the very first paragraph because I was at Hazel Park for 10 years and Hazel Park of course is the pioneer 5/8 mile track and uh, I believe from a little bit of, a little bit of Hazel Park's history that it was meant to be a car track 
And uh, then it just kind of turned into a, a harness horse track. And a lot of people deem view, and, and I know you mentioned this in the article, a lot of people view five-eighths of a mile, the actual track size is kind of the perfect size because it's bigger than a half mile, but yet not as sprawling as the one mile. But you got a little bit of a different opinion about that. Why don't you tell us about it? Well, I always feel like uh, the finish of a race should be the most exciting part. And it is if you have a couple of horses dueling head-to-head coming down the, uh, the home stretch. But if a horse has got a couple of lengths and, you know, 100 yards or 200 yards from the wire, the finish is pretty much predetermined. The finish is not all that exciting. But the starting is all, uh, start is always exciting. Who's leaving? Who's taking back? Who's undecided? Who's on a break? And I remember an interview with Dave McGee, a top driver from Illinois, top driver anywhere, uh, he told me, he said, uh, you know, often what goes on in the first 100 yards out of the gate predetermines the finish. He said people worry about the finish because that's where the betters and the owners get paid off. But he said that first 100 yards out of the gate, and I hate the fact that that on a 5 8 mile track is on the backstretch. Having said that, I've been to Europe so many times to see races there, and the most uh, prevalent size track in Europe is the one kilometer or five-eighths mile track. And they do have some mile races, but a lot of the, uh, I'd say the traditional races in Europe are often uh, 2,100 meters, which puts the start right in front of the public. So all that jockeying for position and and strategy is playing out right in front of the public. Um, I feel that American racing is boring. I think that all the races tend to look alike. You have the same number of horses, going the same distance, over the same track, and many times the same drivers competing. And it's just like watching the same movie over, over and over again. So uh, Nadine, I'd like to see some experimentation. Nadine, obviously uh, I've been a huge proponent of um, uh, of bigger distances or longer distances, so to speak. You know, as far as overseas goes, you see a lot more competitive spirit and a lot more, you know, the larger field size, like you alluded to in your article. And and it's funny you kind of mentioned your article because I was going through it. I've read it a couple of times um, since it came out. And you know, and I hate to compare harness racing to the Kentucky Derby, but when the gate springs on the Kentucky Derby, everybody goes nuts. The horses go running right by them. Everybody's jockeying for position. You know, I feel like in this instance that you're talking about, you know, if we do, let's say have a big crowd um, for, and, and I'm just throwing a race out there, the Betsy Ross or the battle of the Brandywine. And there's a big crowd out there. People are more inclined when they see the start to maybe get excited about the race. Yeah. I think larger fields make for more action. You can't just necessarily take a tuck and race in single file for uh, three quarters of a mile or, and then sprint home. And everyone says, well, what do you know? It's dangerous to have uh, larger fields. Not if you go a longer distance. And that's why I think like a mile and a quarter on a five-eighths mile track would be good. And I don't see anything wrong with 12 horses in, in that. In Europe, they often have 14 or 16. And then people say, well, you're only going to pay five horses? Well, I, in my 25 years as editor of Hoofbeats, I, uh, I asked the question of many racetrack officials and people, why do we pay five places in harness racing? And the only answer I ever got was tradition. And that seems to explain a lot of the things that we do in harness racing tradition. Um, but why don't we pay seven places? Why don't we pay three places? Uh, I had a man come into my office repeatedly from Pennsylvania who believed that every horse in a race should get paid. Um, I, I think, we, you know, if, if, if you have a business, whether it's a restaurant or, 
you know, a car dealership and your business is up 15 or 20% every year, you can keep on doing what you're doing because you've got a winning formula. But I don't know any track where the betting is up 15 or 20% every year. So obviously the public is not buying what we're selling. And to, to continue to do the same old, same old just guarantees the same results. Visiting with Dean Hoffman. Uh, Dean, obviously when you get into these kind of discussions – you know, when you talk about different distance racing, um, when you talk about configurations of racetracks, it's only a matter of time before the subject of the passing lane comes in. And this is the point of the conversation where the, where the subject of the passing lane is going to come in. Uh, yay or nay, what say you about the, the uh, passing lane? Well, basically, I like it. But I must preface that by saying that I'm not a better. Uh, I like to see watch races. Uh, I go to the racetrack. I look at the horses, see how they're gated, see how they're rigged and uh, see if they look like they're sorry or they're damn. I don't really bet. So I, I'm, I don't come at it from the perspective of a better. But I found an old magazine, the Horse Review, from the 1920s, where that very same idea of a passing lane was, it was envisioned. I tend to like it. Uh, I think that nothing is worse for a better than to have a horse trapped at the head of the stretch and it can't get out. Uh, I understand there are countervailing attitudes, but I generally would come down in favor of it. But I don't think that's the biggest problem and harness racing. I think it's that our races are just too predictable and boring. Now, Dean, uh, wrote one last question for me about the passing lane. Do you think it affects the flow of the race uh, at all? You know, does it change kind of the, you know, change kind of the strategy of a driver, uh, you know, if the passing lane is available or not? Oh, I'm sure it does. I mean, if you're, if you're sitting in the two hole or maybe even sometimes the three hole and you're getting nervous at the three quarter pole that you better get out, if you have a passing lane, depending on the size of the track, you can wait. And so, yes, it does affect the flow uh, of, the, of the track and or the race. And I do get that. Um, but I like the fact that it puts horses in play, uh, that they can come to the inside. Um, and I don't know, I think maybe larger fields would help. Uh, you know, when you have an eight or nine horse field, there's, you know, there's often at the quarter at the half, there's seven in and two out, and there's not much flow anyway. Uh, so yeah, I think it would affect the flow, but I think that maybe that could be counterbalanced by having larger fields and maybe going a little longer distance. Dean, one final question before we let you go. Uh, what would a, a, a distance, uh, itinerary look like if, uh, if you had a chance to put together a condition sheet and, and you had a chance to go over a couple of different distances, what would be your shortest distance? What would be your longest distance? And what are a couple that would be in the middle? Well, I think that we can look to the European model where they generally use the what they call the middle distance, uh, 2,100 meters, which would mean they'd start in front of the grandstand on a 5 8 mile track. They consider the mile races to be the sprints, and they will have races up to 24 meters, mile and a half or so. I even like some of the extreme ex- uh, racing experiments. I think they did one at Hoosier Park or Indy Downs a few years back, and they've done them in Sweden where they have like sprint races where they go like 100 yards. Uh, that's a little extreme for me, but I think that providing something rather than the same old, you know, same old movie, same old routine. Uh, but I, I would like to say for a five eighths mile track, I'd like to see uh, fields of 12 to 14 horses, maybe going a mile and a quarter or 2,100 meters, a uh, mile and five sixteenths, and then maybe paying the first seven finishers instead of the first five. 
Very interesting. Good stuff, Dean. Well, listen, we certainly appreciate you joining us. Uh, best of luck to you out in uh, beautiful Arizona. What's the temperature out there right about now? What, well, first of all, it's, uh, what, about 923 in the morning. What's the temperature? What's the weather looking like? Well, I don't know. I think it's uh, – I was out earlier this morning taking sunrise pictures. We always have great sunrises here. I would imagine it's going to be touching 80 today. Uh, the, 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 you know, if harness racing is predictable, the weather in Arizona is also predictable during the winter. It's blue skies and sunshine. Now, you know, I do have to ask you a question because you are out in Arizona. Yeah, you're kind of far away from harness racing. But, you know, there's a track, or I should say there used to be a track that's not too far from me, and we've kind of seen the pictures on YouTube. Uh, Old track Phoenix Trotting Park in Goodyear. Have you ever had a chance to drive by it? Absolutely. When my wife and I first moved out here, we went up to see a spring training game. We see a lot of baseball spring training in Phoenix area. And I went out there and I told her, I said, I'm going to drive out I-10 toward L.A., and see if I could find this old track. And my wife was kind of dismissive. She said, you're never going to find a track out here. And we round a little corner on the expressway, and she said, oh, my God, there's a racetrack. And it's almost like you can throw a rock from Interstate 10, Phoenix in L.A., uh, and hit the racetrack. I couldn't get near it. I took a lot of pictures with a telephoto lens. It's pretty well fenced off. Uh, the, the, the grandstand was intact when I was there. But I think the barn area had been converted converted into like a mobile home court or something. And, uh, you know, I'm old enough that I remember when it opened. And my friend Norman Woolworth was one of the investors who took a, a bath on the Phoenix Trotting Park. And he said it was built on the wrong side of Phoenix and it was just built too soon, uh, too far out in the desert. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, you know, one of the things that always amazed me uh, about that place, and I know really they didn't race, uh, you know, overly long. I think they only lasted a couple of years, but it almost looked like from some of the, the people that I talked to that I actually saw it and took the trip. Now, they say it looked, kind of looked like a UFO, that it was kind of futuristic for its time. Oh, it, the architectural uh, style of the grandstand was remarkable, and as I say, 50 years after the horses stopped racing there, the, the superstructure, the, the basic frame of the grandstand, concrete, was still there. I mean, we have a very dry climate here in Arizona, and things seem to last. Now, I didn't get up close. I imagine the, the inside of the grandstand, I heard there were a lot of birds and things in there. Yeah. But, um, you know, structurally, it looked like you could put in new glasswork and race the next day. Uh, but it just it just didn't happen. I think, you know, it was one of the remarkable failures of, of harness racing in the 1960s when tracks were booming. Pompano was opened about the same time. Pompano was a great success for many decades. Uh, and, you know, I think Phoenix was just going to be Pompano West, but it didn't work out that way. All right, Dean and Lisa, we certainly appreciate you joining us, my friend, uh, and best of luck to you in the future. Okay, anytime. Glad to help. All right, that was Dean Hoffman. Of course, you can find his articles uh, every once uh, in a while in HRU. It's the Dean's List. That's the name of the article. And I'll tell you what, Mike, it's always good to kind of revisit those conversations. Uh, you know, I know we've had talks about that in the past uh, with different distance racing and whether the passing lane is good or bad for the sport and, and different size configurations of racetrack. And, you know, Mike, they always make for good discussion. It really does, and uh, it's interesting to see uh, what uh, you know what everybody thinks of you know the half or the seven eighths or the five eighths or the mile track, and it's different to see the different configurations. But uh, one thing I meant to ask him about, and I completely forgot, was Century Downs, Mike. They've got a completely yeah. different track configuration, and uh, it's kind of an interesting configuration, that's for sure. 
Yeah, certainly is. Well, coming up in just a few minutes, we're going to hear from Jeff Gorell. Uh, obviously, he's going to uh, talk a little bit about the Meadowlands and his other two properties, Tioga and Vernon Downs, and some of the issues that uh, face the harness racing world in general. But, you know, first, Mike, really quick, they've got a really big race at Dover tonight, and I uh, know we promised uh, that we were going to talk about it. So let's touch on it real quick. Uh, Dover, I believe, starts at 4.30 tonight, and they have got the uh, the Hap Hansen progress pace and uh, that is coming up in race number i want to say it's eight but i'm uh, flipping there now and it is race number nope it's not race number eight mr carter it is race number 10 so actually i could make it if i wanted to hustle from from uh, chester to try to get there but obviously it's the it's the last matchup mike between uh down by the seaside and the fear of the dragon a couple of great three-year-olds out of the brian barn uh brian brown stable that have just been locking horns all season long and once again mike it has really been a fun ride in the glamour division and uh, it all comes down to tonight who do you think is going to get the uh, upper hand down by the seaside or fear the dragon well, you know, it, it sets up to be an interesting race, and more so because of the way the um, the post positions were drawn. As I'm pulling up uh, my my program now, and, and it's interesting, Mike, how you know how these two kind of have been going back and forth, back and forth over the past couple of weeks. Um, give me just a second; I'll have a better opinion when I get the program set up. Absolutely. Well, you know what? While you're talking about those two, and I know we're going to kind of focus on those two over the next couple of minutes, but, you know, you've got a couple of other horses uh, in here. I think that could certainly uh, be maybe not the winner, but could certainly uh, be an early part of the pace projections and the early pace scenario. Bloodline is one of those horses from the outside, obviously has a lot of speed from post eight, obviously uh, will be put to the early test or should be trying to, uh, you know, trying to get into the race early, if you will. But you've got Western Joe from the pylons with Yannick. You've got G's Joe, a horse out of the Irv Miller stables, kind of a late-blooming three-year-old. It's kind of starting to put it all together. So you've got some other options here if you're looking for prices, Mike. Yeah, you do. And it's it sets up to be kind of an interesting race. My computer's been, like, super slow. Uh, obviously, with Fear the Dragon drawing the middle of the pack, I think that kind of plays to his advantage a little bit, Mike. Uh, we've talked before about, um, you know, how the center of the racetrack on a 5-8 mile track kind of um, kind of plays to their advantages. And uh, down by the seaside, uh, use that uh, center post to his advantage. He was parked for the first half a mile and won by three lengths. Uh, he might be the fitter of the two horses, but I think Fear the Dragon uh, could potentially um, step up here and uh, possibly uh, steal one from the center of the track. Another horse I liked that I actually picked him in the uh, Hannah handicapping contest was the one Western Joe uh, was fifth against uh, down by the seaside and fear the dragon uh, driver change this week from Vic Kirby to Yannick Jengrow. That's a pretty big, uh, pretty big driver change. If uh, I do say so myself at Dover downs, uh, the three at G's Joe was third missing by three and a quarter lengths picks up Andy Miller. Uh, this week uh, for the Irv Miller uh, Stable and Bay Pond Racing Stable. Geez, Joe uh, has been kind of up and down uh, against Open Company and New York Sire Stakes Company. Uh, was a winner back on October the 18th against New York Excel- Excelsior Series Company. Uh, then you, of course, have Normandy Beach, as you alluded to earlier, the 7 Max Jackpot and the 8 Bloodline. This is probably one of the uh, more competitive fields that you will see all year long on a 5 eighths mile track. And, uh, it should be uh, it should be a lot of fun, Mike. 
Yeah, it certainly is. That's race 10 tonight. It also starts a pick four tonight. It's the $308,000 Hap Hansen Progress Pace Final for uh, three-year-olds. That's coming up uh, tonight at Dover Downs, race number 10. So if you're around a computer or if you're actually in the area, make sure you stop by Dover Downs and check it out. The last ever matchup between Fear the Dragon and Down by the Seaside. Well, without further ado, it's time to check in with the owner of the Meadowlands, Tioga and Vernon, Jeff Garrell, joining the program. Jeff, we know you're a busy guy. We certainly appreciate you taking a few minutes out of your uh, out of your day to join us my friend how are you good anytime all right well listen let's uh, obviously we want to go over a, a variety of topics with you let's as we usually do when we interview you let's start with uh, the current health uh, of the three properties uh, Meadowlands Tioga and Vernon can you take us through that a little bit uh, yeah none of them are particularly healthy um, fortunately I'm healthy <laughs> So that's guess that counts for something, you know. Ver- Vernon has taken a, a beating with the fact that uh, uh, several other casinos have opened in the area. Um, so we've seen our revenues decline dramatically. Uh, fortunately, I was able to get a tax relief from the state um, that allows me to basically break about even. Um, we're we're hopeful of. Uh, coming up with a plan to, for, so that the number of race days next year meets the amount of money we have available for purses and the amount of horses that we have available to race. So uh, we dodged a bullet because I was really going to close Vernon. We were losing about $2 million a year. Now I'd probably break about even, which isn't great, but uh, it's better than losing money. Uh, Tioga... <clears throat> is uh, an artistic success. The facility is gorgeous. We're opening, uh, we're, we're, we have a, a ribbon cutting tomorrow on the hotel and event center. Um, uh, the casino's been open for about a year. And um, uh, unfortunately, the, the results that, that we had in given, projected from outside sources have not uh, been accurate. Uh, that has been the case with the uh, um, other two casinos that are open, it's just a saturated market. I think it's been a success from a standpoint of economic development because we're in a depressed area, but uh, has not been a financial success. Hopefully, the hotel will uh, help us, which I, I, I'm sure it will, um, and we're marketing ourselves as a, as a destination resort. Uh, we have a golf course. We're building a $4 million new clubhouse. So once we get our act together next year, now that all of the parts of it are, are complete. I'm hopeful that uh, that we'll be able to generate more revenue, uh, but at the moment, it's that's been a big disappointment. Um, as far as the Meadowlands is concerned, the big problem I have at the Meadowlands is the fact that we don't have enough horses. So we were looking at the, we had a, we have a major shortfall in the amount of revenue that we earn this year from from racing, uh, both live and. Um, Simulcasting, and uh, we went back uh, and looked at, at 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 the number of races we've had so far, and we're down 74 races. So it's basically the equivalent of of having raced, you know, maybe six fewer days without actually having raced six fewer days. So um, it, that situation is only going to get worse. Um, I'm working on a plan to try to uh, come up with some sponsors for for uh, um, late closers and 
put some of our own money into it so that in the spring and the fall when we're really competing with the Pennsylvania tracks and Yonkers, um, we, we would have enough, we would have more horses. But uh, right now, the, the big problem at the Meadowlands is the horse shortage, and we take it on the chin um, because of the fact that um, the perception, I guess, is, is uh, uh, you know, it's hard to win a race, which it is, um, uh, and the fact that our purses aren't great. And the fact is, you know, that we take a big chunk of, of the money we have and, and do stakes races, use it for stakes races. So, um, you know, assuming I can get sponsors again, which so far seems to be the case, I think, you know, we've, we, I want to keep the stakes where it is because it's really made a, a help the breeders dramatically. I, I don't think anyone would could argue that, Without the Meadowlands, you would not be seeing uh, huge increases in the um, yearling sale results. So, um, you know, it, it's it's it, it is it is what it is. Um, I should have stuck to real estate, truthfully. <laughs> Jeff, obviously, when you talk about the success of horse racing and harness racing, it obviously comes down uh, to slot machines, and a lot of it comes down to the political climate and how friendly they are to racing or how not friendly they are to racing. You guys in New Jersey got a new governor, Phil Murphy, who seems, at least to this point, be more of a friend of uh, racing than perhaps uh, governors of the past. Um, you know, he just named the uh, CEO of... Uh, Dale Valenti Farms into his transition team, and I know you've had some interaction with uh, Governor Phil Murphy. Is there a reason to be optimistic with uh, Governor-elect Murphy at the helm soon? Yeah, I'm very good friends with Governor Murphy. Uh, matter of fact, I was honored along with him uh, last Friday, and we had a t- chance to chat uh, at an event at the uh, Law Enforcement Against Drugs, which is obviously a good cause. Uh, Mike is friendly with him, and, and uh, um, obviously the governor, the prior governor, was totally, you know, he was basically prepared to shut the Meadowlands down. People should understand that place was hours away from being closed when I got involved at the last minute when Tommy Lucento reached out. Um, so, you know, the, the real question is, I don't, I don't, I don't see a, a referendum being back on the ballot. Uh, again, until we know it's going to win, because in my opinion, if we lost again, it would never come back. So the next time you see this on the ballot, we have to know it's going to win. Um, how much they can help us with, with uh, you know, diverting money from the state to, to purses like they did prior to Christie getting involved, I have no idea. The state uh, has has budget problems. We're looking at tax at tax. Uh, a passage of a tax bill that would be very damaging to, to New Jersey and New York as well, Pennsylvania probably. Jeff, so I, I really think uh, Go ahead, Jeff. I, I mean, absolutely he's a good friend. Is that going to result in a, an immediate, something good happening immediately? I am not counting on that. I'm buckling down and trying to cut my expenses we're focused heavily on events and using the building. We have three bar mitzvahs this weekend at the at the Meadowlands. Uh, we've got we made a deal with Cirque du Soleil to set up uh, in our parking lot 
in the spring next year, which is a, a big help. <clears throat> but um, it's it's uh, it's 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 really tough, and you know I spend a lot of money on trying to catch the drug guys, um, and uh, hopefully I can catch them because I, I, I am dedicated to catching the drug guys. Uh, yeah, you know, we're gonna they, you know what, Jeff, we're gonna we're gonna bring that up in a minute. Mike Carter wants okay. to. I ask you a question about that, but real quick, Jeff, while we're still on the subject of the political landscape in New Jersey, does Atlantic City still have the influence that it, that it's had in the past? Yes, they do. Um, absolutely. Even even if you looked at the referendum that that failed, it was a bonanza for Atlantic City, and we would have had a partner with an Atlantic City hotel. So it's a huge. They have a huge a huge huge influence. Now, Jeff, obviously, uh, you dedicated a lot of time, energy, and money into drug testing and making sure that the racing integrity at the Meadowlands is top-notch. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, there was kind of uh, some conflicting stories uh, that kind of went against each other uh, as far as trainer transfers went. Uh, can you clear that up, maybe, uh, for anybody who took a look at those yeah, couple of articles? Yeah, I mean, we, we had this, uh, Rene Allard called me after he bought Springsteen, Asked me if he could race. I told him no. He would have to. He would have to change trainers. He called me back. He said, "Okay, I'm going to give the horse to Mark Harder." I said, "Okay." Uh, probably was a mistake, but um, and then subsequently I got a call from uh, um, Mark Ford telling me that they had dropped Lady Shadow off in the, in his barn, and could he race her uh, in the TVG? And we felt that um, because of uh, the fact that um, we said it was okay for Alard, that it would be okay for him. I got a lot of criticism, and it dawned on me. I said, well, why am I going out of, out of my way for owners who give their horses to known drug trainers? Uh, so so next year that will not happen. I'm, I'm going to come up with a rule uh, that's not going to allow you to give a horse to a new trainer two weeks before the race. Um, you're going to... Most likely, uh, you know, maybe maybe whoever's training the horse on May 15th, that's the trainer. And if you're not using an approved trainer on May 15th, you know, don't bother to enter into our stakes and uh, don't expect to be able to race. So, um, and and obviously, it cost me a lot of money uh, to to try to ensure that neither of those horses were going forward down the lane. Uh, we, we drug tested them both before the elimination. We drug tested them before the final. Uh, those samples were sent to Hong Kong, and they knew they were being sent to Hong Kong. We used the detention bond for the two-year-old races, which we ordinarily wouldn't do. Um, and I accomplished my mission, which was to make sure both horses were going backwards. Um, other people seem to think that uh, Simon Allard just drove bad. Um, I was, to be honest, shocked at those comments. I thought the horse was going to jog. He got the same trip he had the week before, and he had no pace at all. Uh, Lady Shadow has been going backwards ever since Adams isn't the trainer, so I think that's pretty obvious. Visiting with Jeffrey Gurrell, owner of uh, Meadowlands Tiogan, Vernon. Jeff, uh, over the last week, you made some comments in HRU uh, relating to drivers and relating to the possibility 
of not letting drivers drive in stake races unless they compete in your overnight program. Obviously, this is uh, another way of you trying to compete and get creative with, you know, some of the jurisdictions that have the the luxury of slot revenues. Is that something that uh, you're you're going to consider and you're going to do? Yeah, I think I, I think I have an, uh, an agreement with the drivers. Um, uh, a lot of them. Look, they, they, they risk their lives every time they drive. I have a lot of respect for the drivers. Don't ever think I don't, uh, more than you know. Um, and and a couple of them, you know, David Miller wants to go to Florida. I have no problem with that. I never did. Um, I think uh, uh, anyone wants to go to Florida, they're welcome to do that. And then uh, I, I think a couple of the guys have young children and wanted to uh, take it easy uh over, over you know this over the weekends, so I think uh, we we have an agreement where uh, we're going to try to put our best races on Saturday night, and they will drive on Saturday night um, and take Friday off, um, and uh, hopefully that's where we're at with that issue. Uh, keep in mind, it's not a big deal because when Yonkers has the Levy or whatever it is, we've all, I've never stood in the way of our drivers going to Yonkers to drive. Uh, whenever there's stakes races, uh, I assume they're going to believe, but um, I just didn't feel, <laughs> you know, that I'm just a punching bag here where they can uh, go over to Yonkers because the purses are better. And then, uh, uh, you know, when... Uh, our stakes start and the baby races start, oh, we'll come back. I mean, I, I don't think that's asking a lot. We only race two days a week. Um, so uh, I'll actually have something interesting to say on HRU this week. So uh, I have a new plan, but I don't want to talk about it just yet. Okay, very good. Well, Jeff, listen, we certainly appreciate you joining us real quick. Uh, before we let you go, um, obviously at some point, you would have to think that the Meadowlands and uh, really New Jersey in general is going to need some kind of expanded gaming to keep going forward. What, how much longer do you plan on giving this thing? I, I, think, I think sports betting will help us a little bit, uh, get people in the building. Um, I'm prepared to wait. Uh, realistically, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that New York will – go forward and open the three downstate casinos, and that will force this issue. So the, that, that could take as long as five years. I, I suspect it will take less, but, um, you know, unless it gets really ugly, and, and it's getting ugly. With the, with the, we, we took a big hit uh, over, over the fact that we had 74 less races, and there's still a month left. So, uh, you know, uh, it is what it is. Um, it amazes me how much criticism I get because I don't know where the sport would be if I didn't step up and and op- keep the Meadowlands open. I doubt if anybody would, if there would be a sport. I, I, maybe I'm wrong. I think the breeders would have gotten killed, and I'm a breeder. Um, I doubt if anyone's going to pay two or three hundred thousand dollars to win a race at Yonkers or Chester or Pocono. Um, you know, they want to win either at the Meadowlands or up in. Uh, in Canada or wherever the Breeders' Crown is, and Lexington. Uh, so, uh, but Lexington, you know, is is also struggling. It's uh, it's been kind of a nightmare, to be honest with you. <laughs> 
But. Jeff, uh, on a lighter note, you guys uh, have tried, and it looks like it's starting to catch on a little bit, the uh, Survivor wager, which I think is a, is a pretty interesting thing at the Meadowlands. What are your thoughts on that wager? I'm really hopeful that it, it was suggested by, uh, uh, <clears throat> what's his name, down in Florida. Um, he's a gambler. I'm not a gambler. But the, the whole objective was that, it would, you know, if you go into it, you, you would have a good chance of taking home the pool. Uh, in the three weeks we've had, the first week was crazy. Uh, nobody made it to the fourth race. I don't know how that happened. But the second week, uh, somebody took down the whole pool, 13,000. Last week, uh, four people divided it. Um, uh, so I think they got four or 5,000. And had the nine-horse won, uh, that guy who was only one winner, he would have taken down the whole pool. So I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, we've 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 improved the graphics so people can see what ho- how many tickets are left, what horses they have. So when you get down to like last week, I knew that three but three people had uh, Springsteen, not not sure why, and one person had uh, the horse that just missed. So um, you know, so I, I, I I'm hopeful. You got to try something different. You know what I mean? We get some excitement. Uh, I think that can be an exciting wager. Uh, if we can get the handle up, uh, we did we did see a dramatic increase last week, uh, but we had better you know we had a lot of stakes races, so we'll see what happens this week. Jeff, we know you're a busy guy. We certainly appreciate you taking uh, time out of your day to join us, and uh, best of luck moving forward. We'll see what happens. Thanks, guys. Have a good holiday. All right, that was Jeff Garrell, the owner of uh, Tioga Vernon and the Meadowlands. And I'll tell you what, Mike, one thing about Jeff is he's going to tell you exactly what he's feeling at the moment. So I don't think there is any, uh, you know, surprises or there's certainly no sugarcoats to uh, the situation that, uh, you know, faces the Meadowlands and the history properties and the sport of harness racing in general. Yeah, definitely. And uh, good stuff. You know, like he said, I mean, he get, you know, he gave us a lot of really good information. And, you know, one thing that I had talked about with you was the uh, two articles that were kind of going against each other there for a little bit. You know, which way was it? And uh, I'll tell you what, he cleared up a lot of questions, I think, that we both had and that some people in the sport of harness racing had as well. Yep, and uh, Mike, he, he also mentioned some of the, the cool things coming up at the Meadowlands. I know Cirque du Soleil is coming. I think that's a, that's pretty awesome. I, you know, I don't know if anybody's had a chance to check that out, but boy, I'll tell you what, that is one heck of a show that the Cirque du Soleil puts on. Plus, uh, obviously, live harness racing uh, continues at the Meadowlands, Mike. Yeah, definitely. Uh, live harness racing continues uh, at the Meadowlands uh, throughout the balance of the year. And uh, one thing about it, uh, Mike, that survivor wager uh, is actually a lot of fun. Uh, I threw a few dollars at it uh, last week, and you know, it, it makes for an interesting, uh, an interesting, you know, scenario. You have to win, obviously, um, to move on to the next leg, but. It, it makes it a uh, it makes it to where you actually have to play it almost like a pick five early, and then kind of decide well do I want to spread or single towards the end. Yeah, yeah, it's a very very uh, interesting way. Just certainly a lot of strategy goes into it, but uh, obviously it's a whole lot of fun. We're gonna take one final time out. We're gonna wrap this thing up when we come back on post time with Mike and Mike presented by Bet America.
Are you interested in learning more about owning standard bred racehorses? Do you want to experience the excitement of driving a standard bred? Owning a racehorse is a once-in-a-lifetime experience and not as difficult as you may think. The United States Trotting Association wants to help make your ownership dreams a reality. Contact a member of the Ownership Concierge team by email at owners at ustrotting.com or by calling 877-800-8782, extension 5555. Twelve championship races. The captain, not to be denied. One spectacular night. And Father Patrick and a coast home champion here. Breeders' Crown 2018, coming to the Downs at Mohegan Sun Pocono. Pitching up the rail, modern legend there, foiled again, dead game, clear vision laid on the outside, Pet Rock on the inside, photo finish, foiled again at Pet Rock together, Picking up speed. Here they come. They're off, and it is on. If you're already off and pacing, what's the next step? If you're between the ages of 8 and 17 or know someone who is, visit thisisharnessracing.com to download the application for the This Is Harness Racing Aspiring Drivers Program. Perks include being a driver in the off and pacing game, meeting real-life top drivers, and getting free off and pacing merchandise. Join the movement. This is HarnessRacing.com. Hashtag This is Harness Racing on Twitter and Facebook. All right, and we appreciate everybody joining us on this edition of Post Time with Mike and Mike. Special thanks to our guests, uh, Jeff Garral, Nick Serring, Dean Hoffman, and Moira Fanning. Special thanks to all of you that took your time out of your day to listen to uh, us. And don't forget to take a few more seconds out of your day, Mike, to make those nominations for the 2017 Post Time with Mike and Mike Awards. Because I'll tell you what, Mike, that hourglass, that sand is running low. Yes, it is. Uh, a little bit less than seven days left to go. Visit posttimewithmikeandmike.com to make your nominations for the 2017 Post Time with Mike and Mike Awards. Our nomination show is one week away. We are so excited. Can't wait to get those nominations rolled out. And special thanks to Mel Keith for uh, always doing our uh, quotes for us. We'll see everybody back here the Post Time with Mike and Mike Awards nomination show next Thursday, first post, 1030. Good night.